Support for Kansas City Today comes from Cleveland University, Kansas City. From its roots as a chiropractic college to new degree programs in health sciences, CUKC is educating healthcare professionals focused on next-level health. Learn more at cleveland.edu slash impact. Support also comes from Grandma's Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia Dean. Today is Friday, January 28th. Coming up, we'll hear from a Kansas City artist who works with the thorns from a honey locust tree to make a larger statement about America today. There's a sense of come hither, like you want to get closer and look at this, but then as you get closer, it's like, but stay away. Plus, how students at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, feel about being at one of the few public universities in the state without a mask requirement. It was almost kind of like we're all throwing it in the university's face, like we're going to make a smart decision whether you are or not. But first, some headlines. Physicians are urging Missourians to avoid emergency departments as much as possible, with hospitals overwhelmed and understaffed due to COVID-19. KCUR's Alex Smith reports. The Missouri College of Emergency Physicians on Thursday asked Missourians to seek COVID tests at dedicated testing sites instead of hospitals and to manage mild or moderate COVID cases at home. The Missouri Hospital Association also warned patients to not go to emergency departments for non-emergency care. The group said that legally required screenings for these patients is taking up valuable hospital resources. More than 3,700 people are currently hospitalized with COVID in Missouri. Vaccinations with booster shots dramatically reduced the risk of critical illness for COVID patients. Yesterday, the Kansas City Council voted to spend nearly half a million dollars on legal services to combat a proposed Missouri bill increasing funding for the city police department. The bill, introduced by Senator Tony Lutkemeyer, would raise the minimum amount of police funding from 20 to 25 percent of general revenues. The city council approved taking $450,000 from the city's general fund to hire outside lawyers to defeat the bill and prepare for possible litigation. Mayor Quinton Lucas, who opposed Poses the bill introduced the ordinance. Some Kansas City residents are organizing a last-ditch effort to stop the sale of the Katz drugstore in Midtown to a luxury developer. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal has more. A group of Kansas Cityans is circulating a letter to Redeemer Fellowship Church, the owner of the Katz drugstore on Main Street and Westport Road, asking it not to sell the building to luxury developer Lux Living of St. Louis. Lux wants to turn the building into amenities for residents of nearby luxury apartments. The Kansas City Council approved tax breaks for the project last summer, but people opposed to the project argue it would price out many Midtown residents. Lux Living says it's in the final steps of purchasing the building. The Kansas Senate approved a package of financial incentives yesterday aimed at convincing a large company to build a multi-billion dollar manufacturing plant in the state. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service reports. Kansas Lieutenant Governor David Toland heads the state's Economic Development Agency. He says Kansas is one of two finalists for what would be one of, if not the biggest business recruitment wins in state history. It's a $4 billion investment in a 3 million square foot advanced manufacturing facility that would employ 4,000 people. Toland says neither he nor legislative leaders are legally allowed to divulge the name of the company. But he says if it locates in Kansas, its suppliers would follow, creating another 4,000 jobs. 
The handful of senators who voted against the bill objected to providing incentives richer than anything the states offered before to a company they know so little about. The bill now moves on to the Kansas House. The Kansas City Chiefs have one game to go before potentially making it to the Super Bowl. Greg Eklund explains how a Kansas State University graduate could be a key weapon in the Chiefs' offense this weekend. Josh Gordon once led the NFL in receiving yards, but this week Gordon is on the Chiefs' practice squad, while fellow wide receiver Byron Pringle has stepped up his play because of work he says he did during the offseason. Uh, the only thing I did was just cut my weight down and uh, just try to get faster. That was my, my main goal from the past offseason. Pringle caught a touchdown pass last Sunday in the overtime win over the Buffalo Bills. This Sunday, the Chiefs play Cincinnati in the AFC Championship game. Students at the University of Missouri system returned to in-person classes last week without a mask requirement. But as COVID-19 numbers hit record highs across the state, some students and professors are worried about how safe it is back on campus. KCUR's Jody Fortino has more on one of the few universities in Missouri starting the semester without masks. Classes have been in session for just a couple of days at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, and the student union is lined with tables welcoming students back to campus. Freshman Corby Schmidt sits on his computer in a quiet corner on the third floor of the union. He says widespread COVID cases have him anxiously checking if he's been exposed to the virus in one of his classes. It just kind of keeps me on edge, like I'm waiting, just like every day I check my, first thing I do when I get up is check my email. Like that's what I'm doing now is I'm looking to see if the university said anything out about it. Schmidt says he was alarmed when he learned that the UM System Board of Curators earlier this month voted down two proposals from President Moon Choi for face mask requirements. Choi noted at the board's meeting that nearly all other public four-year universities in the state had some form of mask requirement in place heading into the semester. Masks are now only strongly encouraged at UMKC, but Schmidt says he was surprised that the majority of students were masked up when they returned to class. It was almost kind of like we're all throwing it in the university's face, like we're going to make a smart decision whether you are or not. But Schmidt says that there are still some students who aren't wearing a mask on campus. One such student was sophomore Ellie Pittman, who says she was happy when she learned masks wouldn't be required this semester. If anyone wants to, you know, they can still wear it. But I feel like it's just kind of personal preference now instead of like being forced to wear one. The surge of COVID cases also has some professors wary about the lack of a mask requirement when students return to class. Dr. Paul Barron, a chemistry professor, says he's been asking his students to mask up because he's a single father. But I've got so many things going on, even if I'm sick for a week, that can have a huge impact on my family, my ability to take care of my son, because I can't be like, I'm going to quarantine in my bedroom. You feed yourself and put yourself to bed and figure out how to get to school. I'll just be here. Viviana Grieco is a history professor and chair of UMKC's faculty senate. Without a city or system-wide mask mandate, she says the university is doing the best it can do to keep students and faculty safe. I think that we're taking care of ourselves, right, the best way we can, which is to take the virus very seriously, to encourage positive conversations about what we need to do, right? Faculty who feel uncomfortable teaching in person can opt to request a change in class modality, according to Grieco. Shannon Jackson is a professor and department chair of anthropology. She says that process can be a barrier for educators wanting to switch to online learning. If you want to change the modality of your course, you now have to jump through fiery hoops to get that done. 
Krieko, who's on the certification team, says these procedures are in place to make the transition to online classes less rocky and are a standard practice anyway. UMKC didn't detail the process for switching the modality of a class, but it says it encourages all faculty to have plans to teach courses in all formats. But Jackson says with a tricky transition to online classes, no mandates in place, and a legal threat from Missouri's attorney general against schools with mass requirements, she feels like professors are on their own. You start to feel devalued on lots of levels, lots of ways. You can devalue us. You can tell us that our health and well-being is not a priority, that needless suffering is not something that anyone else is going to address. It's not something you can do on your own. Still, there's hope the Board of Curators will reconsider its decision. After this month's vote, Board Curators asked Choi to update the Board if hospitalizations significantly increase or if hospitals are unable to meet staffing requirements. But with no mask requirement in place now, Jackson says she's just gearing up for her first in-person class. And while others may not be wearing a mask, she will. For KCUR 89.3, I'm Jody Fortino. KCUR is an editorially independent service of UMKC. Sculptor Susan White creates large works of art using thousands of thorns from the honey locust tree. She finds inspiration in the beauty of nature with a sharp point. KCUR's Julie Denache reports. <sighs> Look at those thorns. It's late morning, and Susan White is walking through the snow beneath a honey locust tree in Bannister Park. It's a common tree, native to the Midwest. Look at some of those big ones. These are great. Honey locust trees are known for the dense clusters of thorns that surround the trunk of each tree. The thorns are long and spiky. White's wearing leather gloves. She clips clumps of them off the tree with garden shears. She's a sculptor, and she uses thorns in her art. Harvesting them is harder than it looks. White says honey locust trees are easy to recognize. They're all over. I mean, and once you start looking for them, you see them because the trunk is not smooth. It's like having this crazy hair that sticks out from the trunk because it's real jaggedy. For 15 years, White has drawn thorns, painted thorns, and cast them in bronze. She's created three-dimensional flag sculptures made from thousands of them. White says she enjoys the push and pull of danger and beauty. There's a sense of come hither, like you want to get closer and look at this, but then as you get closer, it's like, but stay away. Piles of thorns cover a work table in White's studio in the Wholesome Building. It's a five-story building in the historic West Bottoms. Around her, masses of painted thorns hang in sculptures from the ceiling. It's a prickly place where being careful is important. These thorns are really big ones. I mean, these are really, really big thorns. And that's really wonderful because there'll be an opportunity for a really nice sweeping piece. Sitting at a table, White carefully assembles the thorns into sections. It's like a dangerous puzzle without any rules. Ah, that's it. Okay, so these go here. Each section of thorns will become a part of a larger piece. White works slowly and deliberately with a careful respect for her material. So one of the things I like about this is that it really is so quiet. It's really so sort of meditative in the doing of it, which I really like. I think of them as being both elegant and daunting. 
So they're elegant in that they're these beautiful linear forms that are natural, and sometimes they have these amazing gestures. They're just beautiful objects in and of themselves. But at the same time, they can be incredibly dangerous. Over the years, White's constructed a series of five large American flags, all bristling with thorns and infused with symbolism. In 2019, her work found an international audience when she created an 11-foot flag for an art festival in Como, Italy. She says each of her flags reveals something about the state of our democracy. In political moments like human rights abuses at Abu Ghraib, and the contentious aftermath of the 2020 election. She's already making plans for her next flag. So it's really important to me to find a venue for the 2024 elections because we all know that's going to be even more contentious and even more difficult. For White, the thorns carry a deeper meaning. I don't know, I see metaphors for life in that in certain ways. That there are just these amazingly gorgeous and beautiful moments in life and in the natural world. At the same time, there is like gross unfairness and huge cruelty. Julie Denache reports for KCUR. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love and Trevor Grandin and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Jody's story on masks at UMKC and Julie's story on Susan White, visit kcur.org, where you can also hear a live stream of Kansas City's NPR station. Monday, we'll bring you another update on the legislatures in Kansas and Missouri. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.